Welcome to Behind the Curtain, L.A. Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. Thank you. Give a great big welcome and thanks uh, to Christoph Waltz. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very nice of you to come. We, uh, as you know, this is a series. How many of you have been to one of these post-concert talks before? Good, very good. Okay, we're going to keep. If you like it, we're going to keep doing it because. Uh, well, you know, with my pre-performance talks, I'm not all talked out yet. By the time I never finished my speech, so I can pick up where I left off. And of course, it's wonderful to do that, batting that. Uh, back and forth with very special guests. We're very grateful. Now, uh, I asked him how much of his biography did I re read. He said, cut it. Uh, I'll read you a little bit. Christopher Waltz was born in Vienna, Austria, to parents Johannes Waltz and Elisabeth Urbanacic, and set, who were set in costume designers, and grown up surrounded by the theater. Christoph has shared in interviews that he did not want to pursue a career in acting. We're going to ask you about that. However, he studied acting at the Max Reinhardt Seminar in Vienna, and then later moved to New York to study at the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film. Um, you know he's won a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of many, 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 many awards, and Oscar nominations, and Oscars as well, not nominated one, second Oscar for bringing Dr. King Schultz and Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained, lots and lots and lots and more. You can brag if you want. If not, Thank you. we can stop there. Okay, so there he is. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much. This is... Um... Let's talk about Mozart. I'm going to lean off by saying, aside from the fact that you're a great actor and a great director and you're very famous, and we're thrilled to have you, um, I, I want to ask you about opera, and I want to ask yeah. you about your relationship to opera, and how did that happen? Family involvement, early love for the art. Um, I know that you are, I wrote a wonderful quote about you, where you explained just why you were you could not be considered not Viennese. He's as Viennese as you can study, born, grew up, studied, did everything for the first time in Vienna. So obviously you went to the opera for the first time in Vienna, I would guess. Turandot with Birgit Nielsen when, when I was about 10. And um, well, I'm, I, I didn't do anything, I just sat there. <laughs> she did all the work. Uh, I forgot who conducted, I'm sorry. I, f I forgot the conductor. Um, That's okay. <laughs> I was 10. And there was Birgit Nielsen. I'd forget about the conductor as well. By the way. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, look, Vienna, every cab driver knows what's going on in the opera. So seriously, to this day, and it's, it's interesting, they all have an opinion too. Uh, um, so I, I'm from a theatrical family, and um, opera was part of it. My, my stepfather was also a conductor and composer. He's, he's the one who took me to, to the opera at 10. And, and then th there was this fabulous institution in, in Vienna, and I don't know whether it still exists, Standing Room. And um, 10 shillings, and, which is about a dollar or was about a dollar. And when I finally got out of um, my boarding school into, into the, the uh, free world at age 16, I, I just went to the opera on standing room. And um, you could do it after school, having done your homework or not. You just, you just said, well, what's on at the opera? Let's. 
That's how, you know, that my brother and I grew up in the, in that, the, in the standing room area of the Metropolitan Opera. So we had the same experience. And my big challenge was, um, the last train out to where I lived left at a certain time. And I just had to make sure that I was on that train. But we, ha I mean, I feel like I had a lot of my education right there. Probably you do f feel the same about that. Did you study singing? <laughs> I did. So did I, don't worry about it. It's uh, <laughs> I didn't get very far. Um, I actually made it into the music academy and I was a um, pupil of Otto Edelmanns, who was then a very, very famous Ox von Lerchenau, um, Wotan, um, uh, what other, um, another Strauss he did, um, very famously. Anyway, and then, and then they just put it to me, do you want to be an actor or a singer? And uh, I had started work as an actor already. So, um, you know, I, I didn't make the decision, I just followed was, what was available. And um, opera, I think, um, thanks me to this day. If you could sing a role today, what would you like to sing? What operatic role would you like, most like to sing? Mozart, or, or, or Mozart, I think, would be too difficult for me. Mozart is probably the, the you know. Well, it, as what you heard today is very, very difficult. Yes. And this is the most, I mean, this is one of the most difficult operas to sing, which is why it is produced less often than, not that the others are easy, they're not, but this one is a killer, as you can hear. Um, so, so maybe it would, would be Wagner, you know, where you can... Uh, 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 Votan, maybe? You Votan? get kind of through in the vicinity. <laughs> no, no, that, that, look, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that because it sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to sing everything, but uh, I was waiting for my voice to go, you know, up or down. You go up and you're a tenor, you go down and you're a bass or a baritone, but... Mine stayed in one place, so it was a monotone. <laughs> so I decided to conduct. That's, <laughs> that's pretty much. And I'm, I mean, I personally am happy about my decision. I think you're probably very happy about yours. I hope. I don't question that too much, but um, yeah. I'm happy about your decision too. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, do you think that your early love for opera had um, an important influence on? Any aspect of your profession as an actor, as a director, quite aside from the fact that you have directed, you have now directed some operas, but I mean the acting and the formation of a young actor. Can you say whether opera had any, you know, what is, how does it work in the mix? It's like, like almost everything else, uh, um, a train of thought that takes different directions as you make your experiences because what appears to be very attractive in the beginning once you live through it a several a, a, a few times and and have gained some insight it may change so of course you know the the grand musical um, presentation was was attractive to me in the beginning as a director and I, I, I did two so far, so I don't even know whether that, you can call that a director. I directed two, yes. But the, yeah, but they were great, too. If I'm not mistaken, it's Falstaff and De Rosen Cavalier. Am I right? That's right. Okay, that's no small feat. 
No, but but here here's the here's the thing. Um, they were chosen for me. I was offered them. I didn't pick them, but for a very um, sensible reason. Both both operas are acting operas. Both operas have a very um, integrated play action. Meaning, not just because uh, Falstaff is from from taken from Shakespeare, but um, the 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 dramaturgy is a very is a very um, um, integrated one, and acting, as it should be in all other operas, of course, is is vitally important. Uh, to just tell the story, it's a it's a it's a story and less of a concept. So so that's why these operas were chosen for me. And, and what can you say as an actor? Did your early experiences in the standing room uh, area of the Wiener Staatsoper did that uh, affect you? Did you think that, did you bring that in? I mean, I'm, this is a dumb question because I'm sure the answer is yes. So I guess I'm asking how. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, 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 I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yes. No. Definitely. You're, uh, what you're driving at uh, was seriously a concern. Um, yes. You know, especially when I started going to the opera, uh, voice and sound was the tr predominant uh, requirement and um, desire. Um, I don't know whether, whether the, it was desired by the audience as much as it was desired by the, by the singers and uh, musicians. But um, what I'm trying to say is it was very old-fashioned. And um, I had the, the great opportunity to see a few operas where Acting was moved into a position that was in in the in the maybe idea of the Gesamtkunstwerk an equally important element, and that was uh, a Carmen that was directed by Peter Brook, the great English um, director, and that was an eye opener for me. Because I, I was always a little, you know, sort of, yeah, you know, okay, fine, they have to sing, it's very important that they, you know, and they have to be massive, and uh, which isn't true, by the way, uh, or is it? No, no. physiologically, you, you don't. People on the stage who are not massive in, in any term, uh, they, there is. There may be a long-term disadvantage to the fact that people are not so massive anymore. You know, we speak of a golden age of singing, uh, and you know, people over 39 like me start going, "Yes," because we grew we grew up in it. Uh, I certainly did. Now, that's not to say that that singing isn't great now, and there are not a lot of great singers. But there was something extraordinary about the mid 20th century. But the the number, I would say, there are great singers today, but the number of great singers. Was, it was extraordinary. And because it's like, you know, making a Stradivarius violin, nobody can really explain it. Nobody can go to Bayreuth and understand how a man who was not an acoustician, that is to say, Richard Wagner, could create a theater out of the top, off the top of his head, and it would have such a great acoustic. We don't really understand what makes a voice. I don't think it will ever be. Why does somebody have an operatic voice? It used to be somewhat associated with 
heavy people. And it may be that there has been something lost with the weight, but we have gained a lot other. We've gained a more theatric, theatrical uh, reality. And although I think, as my perspective, you may not agree with me, um, that the battle about showing that opera must be theater is actually, has been waged and has been won. And now theater is up there, and there are times, I would dare to say, um, they're beating us up. I mean, the, 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 the strength and the uh, commitment on, uh, in a good way, and also the, um, the dominance of stage directors, stage designers, and all that, is actually very, very strong. So politically, at this moment in history, the, the stage directors and the stage designers, uh, directors, I should say, are, are very, very strong. And they, we come into conflict from time to time because I believe in theater, and if you don't believe in theater, you shouldn't conduct opera. I mean, lots of conductors can conduct. If you don't love theater, if you don't love the opera, operatic form and voices and um, the poetry and the language and just about everything, you shouldn't conduct an opera. So you have to love theater. So I obviously love theater, but I don't always love everything I see in the theater. I, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Maybe you want to comment 100, on that. 100%, because even the theater today has a very, very wide variety of different options and approaches, of course, thank God. And um, who cares whether I like it or not? Only I do. But, you know, overall, overall, um, it, I, I think it's more than... Uh, to be to be celebrated almost um, that the variety is so wide. Um, theater, the the inverse is true for directors. By the way, if you don't love music, don't direct opera. Uh, Amen. No, seriously, because. Um, well, I can only go from from my limited uh, experience. For me, it's about music. It's not, it's not theater music. It's musical theater. And um, even though in English that has a different connotation, if you say that same uh, thing in German, it means a lot more. Musiktheater. Um, it's really what Wagner was, was trying to achieve with his, with his um, idea of what opera could be. And uh, not that I read everything that he wrote, because I don't, uh, I don't think anyone exists who did, but um, uh, um, I, I, I really concur with that. And it, it, you, you need to be interested to a degree where it borders, I don't know, you know, exceeds enthusiasm for music if you want to direct opera. I'm glad, very happy to hear that. You know, we're fond of saying here at Los Angeles Opera that opera is the greater than the sum of its parts. And that's what I think fascinates uh, certainly me, I presume you, and I presume most of you, is that when you come to an opera, you are opened to not just its musical values, not just its vocal values, to its dramatic values, to its visual, I mean, visual uh, Listening, hearing, feeling, uh, every every sense in a certain way is spoken to in one way. I mean, you're not supposed to eat during the opera, although they did all the time in the 19th century. But it, it speaks to the whole person. And therefore, the composite art is very important. And therefore, as a conductor, I will fight for theater. 
And what I always appreciate is when a director, at the same time, who, with whom I'm collaborating, will fight for the music. Because if we understand each other, uh, you can make a great product. And I have to say, the very greatest directors with whom I have to work, if I think of the many, many, because I've worked with a lot of people, the best ones somehow or other knew music in one way or another. Some of them were even excellent musicians. So uh, I think, the, I think the, the marriage of those two, uh, two, two elements is essential. And anyway, it's there now. I don't think that's going to go back. I don't think we're going to go back to the kind of... Uh, Stand up and, you know, we say park and bark operas, you know, where, you know, soprano wheels herself in and stands and delivers, and then a tenor comes in and. Well, it, it happens. Um, and, and it needs. All a, night long? Sorry? Uh, an entire all, evening of it? Not there all night long. Not all moments, night You know, yeah. and then they go. No. So that is always guaranteed. But um, um, it, it needs a lot of coaxing. It, uh, it needs a lot of persuasion. It needs reasoning, and every, of course, every singer uh, reacts to different, different realms and different topics. And um, it needs to make sense to a performer um, if a director asks for a specific thing that it is not within their immediate to reach or grasp or desire. So, so. Um, I try to convince singers with story and character. Um, character is already a, a difficult subject because, um, you know, there's, well, he wouldn't do that, she wouldn't do that. Okay, well, you kind of say, well, she would, but then why? Um, so story really is something that, that can't be questioned too much because the story is the story that needs to be told. Um, I'm, I'm not talking about interpretation. I, I, I always try to get to, to the specifics via the conductor. I, I, am, I am seriously offended if the conductor doesn't have time for me um, as a director if I, if I ask for specifics, because it needs to come out of the music. I personally think um, you can hear the music of an opera without the action and, and um, plot. But you can't look at the uh, plot and the action without the music. That's a very good point. Uh, in music, uh, you know, you, there are such a things as concert performances of operas. I've done a lot of them, and especially in my time um, in Germany. And they were always appreciated. In fact, I did the entire ringing at one point, you know, in, a, in concert. And uh, the audience hears the music differently. They hear the orchestra differently because you, are, you have a big orchestra and you're, you're, you're in it in a certain way. Um, but also, the music has something to say even without theater. That's not to say it's the ultimate... Now, I, was, I remember one interview, some critic interviewed me, wanted to ask me, why are you doing the ring in concert? And don't you feel, he was trying to catch me, he said, well, don't you feel you are being untrue to Wagner because Wagner want what, uh, what they call the Gesamtkunstwerk, they, he wanted the complete theatrical, and of course, he did. So he said, so how do you legitimize making a concert opera? So I said, you know, it's interesting you should ask that question. I've read quite a number of your reviews of CDs as they come out, and, and he said, yes. Well, I said, well, how do you legitimize listening to a CD in your house? 
<laughs> that was the end of that part of the discussion. We went on to other things after that. Well done. But that, I mean, I think that makes the point that the music, the music can exist by itself. It's a little bit harder the other way around. But the fact is that when, when it's all together, that's really, I mean, the best thing. Now, before the performance, um, for those of you that were here, you know, we discussed the fact that this is probably, to the best of everybody's knowledge, the first time um, La Clemenza di Tito is being produced in Los Angeles. It's certainly the first time Los Angeles Opera has ever done it. And, um, you know, I, the opera has done six other Mozart operas, major operas, and I've done five of those six. I'm just waiting to do Idomeneo at this point, hoping. And, uh, you know, Mozart is a staple, but, um, you know, like Clemente di Tito has never uh, been slightly neglected, I believe partially because of the extreme difficulty of casting it, because uh, you can ruin this opera if the singers are not up to it, and they can be good singers, but they've got to be better than good singers. You've got to have a great cast. You can ruin this opera. Um, I, you can ruin it with a production that is boring. Uh, it can be killed from the pit, I can assure you. I've heard it killed from the pit. I mean, you know, boredom. It is an opera that is, uh, it has its challenges to it. Uh, how do you, how do you feel? Now, if you had to, I don't know if you uh, could possibly say, I can't, which Mozart opera you prefer, but how do you see Clemenza di Tito compared with the other Mozart operas? It's seemingly a regression into an older form but only seemingly, and that's, for me, the exciting, the very exciting uh, element of this opera. It is, um, Mozart had made advances dra dramatically or dramaturgically, if you want, musically, daringly, uh, to open opera to the lower, lower um, classes, or at least talk about the lower classes with magic flute even even explicitly written for the lower classes and i believe magic flute was written before clemenza but it was not performed before clemenza well, for those of you that may have not heard my pre-program they were virtually simultaneous clemenza di tito was premiered on the 6th of september 1791 the magic flute i believe was on the 30th of september <laughs> Uh, he had taken a break from the magic flute. Uh, supposedly, he wrote this opera in 18 days because he had a commission to do so, and he didn't want to miss that commission. So, uh, And then he wrote the clarinet concerto in October, and then he started working on the requiem in November. And as you know, he didn't live to complete the requiem. So it all happened between the beginning of September and the end of December. So the idea of the magic flute was to make a popular opera. Well, many of his operas were done for... Well, most of them were done for the court, including the emperor. But he believed, I guess, uh, for various reasons, he wanted to appeal directly to a popular audience, and that was what the magic flute was all about. I think that's what you're, what you're he trying He wanted to. people to whistle the tunes from ma magic flute in the street. But then he, then, so he writes this, and then he writes an opera seria. What is an opera seria, by the way, is the old form. Opera was sort of divided into two categories, serious opera, opera seria, and comic opera, opera buffa. Now, what Mozart had accomplished already was to have moved them into a Don Giovanni, The Marriage of Figaro, Cose Fantute, The Abduction from the Seraglio. 
These are half comedy, half very serious. Mozart, part of his genius was to be able to bring the serious into the comedy and to bring the humorous into the serious. So he had already, he, he'd gone way beyond the old form where the opera seria had, was like a straitjacket. And uh, that's what Christoph is referring to. It was seemingly, and you use the word excellently, seemingly going backwards, it, but it isn't. Very, no, very important, seemingly, because it really transcends that, um, that dichotomy. It transcends the, the, the polarization. You say, okay, we have companies for opera seria, we have companies, specialists for opera buffa. Um, no, this is, this is an opera. And it is about, about um, the realm of the sublime. And um, to actually condense ideas about hum humankind, humanity, society, future, enlightenment, arrangement, of peace amongst um, the various social orders, reign of um, and government, um, revolution in a way, condense that into music. Only music can do that. There's no other art or, or other um, medium of any kind available to humans that could do that. But of course you need to be a little bit of a genius like he was. Or a lot of a genius. Yeah. Now if you could say any um, last thing to all of our guests, and we'll be preaching of course to the converted because you're all here, obviously because you like opera. Um, I'm a believer that uh, opera should be for everybody and that we should start teaching children just the way I guess you were taught. Your father took you to the opera. And that's, I think, the best way that, you know, it used to be when in the Stone Age when I was growing up that we had music appreciation in school and whether we liked it or not, we got it. Uh, of course, I was a good subject in that because I loved it already. But um, we were brought, I was brought to the opera. Uh, and that's how classical music started for me. We don't, the, the schools have sort of dropped out, and they have been dropped out. I mean, the arts were cut 30 years ago, 35 years ago, and, and now we're, we are reaping the, the problems with this because a lot of young people don't even know opera. What would you do if you could do something, if you had a magic wand, or you could, or you could encourage everybody who's here, what can they do to help stem the tide and to turn it around and to bring young people with you into the opera world? To, well, you, you most likely understand that anyway, but tell people that it's fun. It can be cool. It is not old and stuffy because it is about us and we can do it together and we should. It is not something that is um, um, theirs and done for them. 
It's ours and done for us. And we don't, I don't think we need to, to um, ingratiate ourselves with the kind of popularized versions and productions and sort of, in, sort of, sort of lower our standard. We just need to communicate that it's cool to understand um, operas there for us and the stories are interesting, infinitely more interesting than, I mean, really, uh, Siegfried, that's a hero. Iron Man, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, on, on that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful note, uh, go out, go ye forth, and bring as many people and bring children as possible back to the opera. Christoph, thank you very much thank for you. spending the time with us. We're very appreciative. And thank we'll you very you much. Again. Thanks. You've been listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain. Thanks, and see you at the opera. If you've enjoyed listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera.